Hello, it's Jack Tudor here from Attention Magazine. Welcome to the Crucial Listening Podcast, where I speak to experimental musicians and sound artists about the records that are important to them. My guest this time is Richard Youngs, a musician based in Glasgow, who I've been listening to for some time and never ever fails to subvert my expectation or really enthrall and surprise me with every record I hear of his. And he's so prolific as well. Quite how someone manages to release so much material while consciously and constantly seeming to question their own practice and what they're capable of. All all while having a family. (laughs) It's incredible. Um, Richard also put on one of the few live shows that my partner and I have both been able to see and both been able to enjoy equally. He did a wonderful show at Cafe Otto. Also present was Eric Cheneau. And both were brilliant. So Richard's choices, his three records, were in keeping with the uh, subversions of expectations I've experienced throughout his back catalogue as a composer, there were some real surprises in here. And it was so great to dig down into the rationale behind these three releases. So as per the show notes, you can find out more about Richard at nofansrecords.com. He makes reference at the start. We, we, we begin this conversation by talking about a record on the horizon called This Is Not A Lament, which is a double album featuring solo and collaborative works. Um, at least the collaborative side, at least, is, is based on Pibrock music, which is a form of technically virtuosic bagpipe music. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Please, if you haven't already... We're starting to accumulate episodes now, so subscribe and check out the three previous to this one. If you want to find out more information about Richard or the albums he chooses, head over to attentionmagazine.co.uk slash crucial listening. I'll have all the information there. And if you like as well, give this podcast a five-star rating. Help me boost it up the charts, because this is definitely the kind of thing you want to see at number one. Without further ado, here's my interview with Richard Youngs. My brain Deep fried life Can't remember holidays Thoughts as furniture Cause I got summer through my mind I got summer through my mind. I've got summer through my mind. I've got summer. Richard Youngs, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. So pleasure. I've asked you, like I do with all my guests, to come forth with three records that you consider to be important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kick off, I'd be intrigued to know how you found that process i've got a really interesting array of responses from people um i guess enlightening me to the process they went through the motives they had for picking important records and it sounds like you could mm-hmm. have quite easily picked three entirely different ones so how oh, was that for you totally i mean you asked me and i came up with three um if you ask me now i'd come up with another three <laughs> but i'm sticking with my original three i'm i'm not deviating in any way we're just gonna um go with it i'm glad my research still stands then um so oh, yeah, yeah no, i could totally throw you <laughs> throw you here and say well actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so i've just seen uh the last couple of days um you've put out an announcement for another album which i think actually you referred to as your most ambitious yet which for uh, someone with such a vast discography is uh, quite something to hear um but would you mind telling me about that i mean it sounds like a really interesting work well i've, I've 
I, I really like um, Pibrock, which is um, bagpipe music, and uh, it's uh, a form of, it's particularly a form of bagpipe music. It's um, very, on the whole, very long compositions, degree of improvisation in the middle. And yes, it's, it's, it's an album based on Pibrock. I say based, it's very loose. Having said that, there is someone on it who is a professional uh, bagpiper who uh, really knows his Pibrock, um, Donald um, Double G Lindsay, an extraordinary player. But for the most part, it was me asking friends um, who I thought could bring something to the project to be part of it. Um, originally, I'd done a solo record of 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 Pibrock, what I saw as Pibrock, very loose. Um, I don't play bagpipes. Oh, if you if you played this to um, anyone in the know, they'd say that isn't Pibrock. But in my mind, there's somewhere where it is connected. As I say, very loose. So I'd recorded the solo album, and then uh, Richard at Fourth Dimension said to me, "How about this? Uh, I re- release a double CD um, by you. One is a solo disc, and the other is collaborations." Now I'd already got the solo disc sorted, and I thought, "Well, collaborations. People whose music to me." have an element of Pibrock, or they're Pibrock fans. Um, and actually the collaborations got a bit out of hand, and some of them have bled into the solo disc as well. So the whole thing kicks off with... Um, I uh, collaborated with Alistair Roberts, who um, I approached because I thought, well, hey, you know a bit about folk music. Um, hmm. And he took my ideas to a whole new place. And he said, well, my friend Donald is... Um, a bagpiper. He's actually, he has an extraordinary sideline in 3D printing electric bagpipes, but that's another story. Wow. And um, so he does play electric bagpipe on this as well as traditional bagpipe. And we recorded him, and then um, Alistair and I took what he had done, and Alistair recorded some separate stuff, and I recorded the notes of the Pibrock scale uh, in multi tracked voices, and then we played the scale I've done a bit like 10 cc's I'm not in love you know the way they created that yes choir out of um different notes of the octave and they played the choir like sort of a very I don't know if you're familiar with that yes no I have heard that yeah it's yeah, quite striking. yeah it, was, it was a bit like that and we combined that with Donald's playing and some of Alistair's recordings and out of that came 20 minutes of music so already we'd kind of gone completely off the beaten track um I also asked um uh, well, should I go through the show who I asked? Um, oh, yeah. There's Neil Campbell on there. Uh, he he He's a big Pibrock fan, so I had to ask him. There's a Dutch artist friend called Sibrin Renema, who um, earned most of his living, I think, as a, a saxophone busker. But he, at one point, was a professional Mongolian um, overtone singer. So I got him to do some overtone singing because I felt it was... You know, it was a good underlying drone for some Pibrock. Yeah, wow. Uh, there's Alistair Galbraith, who I've always felt has had a bit of a Pibrock edge to his music. Um, it's hard to pin that down why, but I felt that. And uh, he provided some violin playing along with a couple of friends as a backing band, and it coincidentally fitted in with some electric kazoo I'd recorded, so they just got slammed alongside each other. There's Simon Wickham-Smith, who I've, I've long, long collaborated with, and I, I know he's he's a, he's very interested in long-form music, so I thought he'd be a great uh, contender. And he sent me some digitally stretched voice, which I then set up in a sort of interaction with a bass drone, and it all seemed to work very well. There's Oran Ambarchi. Uh, last time I saw him play live, I thought there was a real bagpipe quality to his guitar playing. Totally. So I, 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 I said, well, you know, how about it? And uh, we recorded two things independently for the same backing track which was a like a um a virtual bagpipe uh I, a piece i'd recorded and then we dropped out the virtual bagpipe piece and hey we got a new new work just like that um there's my uh godson norifumi uh shimagawa who um plays the cello and i wrote out on a piece of paper the notes of a pibrock scale and i asked him just to play any note on that scale, as long as he could, draw it out and then just move on to another random one. And he did that, and then I improvised um, some analogue synthesizer over it. 
So um, you, you, you're beginning to get the picture that every, every track is really uh, quite different. And at this stage, I'm beginning to think, have I missed anyone out? Who who else have we got? And let me just see. Uh, I think I've probably mentioned everyone. I hope I have. <laughs> well, it, it sounds um, fascinating. And I think a couple of episodes back on this podcast, I was speaking to Lawrence English, who... Mm. discussed with me about the process of making his most recent album which i think was a a, a, a quite a um a delve into improv uh, sorry not improvisation collaboration for him mm. to an extent that he hadn't really explored before and what was really fascinating to listen to and, and again which i'm getting with you it's just that you end up with this compendium of experiences and interactions which account yeah. as tiny like wonderful little narratives in of in and of themselves um as well as kind of centering on this central concept so yeah well i, I, I particularly felt like these people could really bring something to the project and likewise i, I did a um my last song-based album the rest is scenery there's some collaborations on there and again it was very much people who i felt could bring something to the project so i actually had an old school friend who um we were my first ever band i was with and um i always thought oh you're such a good guitarist and then we drifted apart and then reconnected i discovered he was um john martin and the john martin tribute band and richard thompson and the fairport convention tribute band and he'd become a session player oh, you know cool. working with some very serious people like you know lee hazelwood and petula clark and you know confirmed everything i always thought you are a really good guitarist and i thought I'd really like a good guitarist on this record, so um, he played some really good um, slide guitar on it, and I I needed some female vocals, so I I got um, uh, Frances McKee, who sings for the Vaselines, to do some really nice vocals. So I, I you know got people I thought could bring some great stuff to it, and yeah, there's, there's this element of being a bit of a I don't know a dictator, you know, saying uh, <laughs> this is what I want, and you're you're the person. But uh, there's hopefully a bit of freedom for other, these people as well, yeah. And, and I think it is very much a two-way street, and uh, certainly with this, this people get so loose that everyone, um, you know, did their thing, and uh, it worked out well. I feel. Yeah, I mean, how natural do you find that process of adopting a collaborator's hat? Because as you say there's a dictatorship to it but then there's an element of slack and freedom and mm. i guess it's essentially your work at the end of the day and it's how far do you let that slack go for the benefit of letting someone contribute what they want to yeah this is but having said that i do collaborations where it's an equal billing mm. um and they're often duos but um like uh Yesterday I was I was in a recording studio, a rare event. I was in a recording studio, and we we're doing some mixing um, of a disco project I've got going, which is a four-piece. Um, and it's you know we're all very, I think, strong individuals in the four-piece, and we all bring something very specific. And that is very much uh, everyone brings something to it that no one else can bring. So um, we have Paul, who's who's. The drummer, absolutely amazing sense of rhythm. And we've got a, a virtuoso double bass player in Michael. And then um, my artist friend Luke um, does a lot of the sound design in a way that, you know, I could never conceive. Um, and it's sort of left to me to do, I guess, the melodies. Um, so we each have our own field of expertise. And uh, that works very well. Wow. Uh, when is that due out? I would love to hear that. We've done one 12 inch. It's on Night School Records. Um, we were recorded under the name of Amor, A M O R. Um, and the first 12 inch was called Paradise. You, you, you find it all over the internet. Um, I'm sure you can find a link for the site. Um, and we're doing another 12 inch to coincide with a September tour. And we were just mixing that 12 inch yesterday. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to hear all this. And what's great, I think, is the fact that you've already laid out two albums that you're working on, which sound completely at opposite ends of a spectrum. I don't know, mm. like very eclectic. And, and the choices that you've put to me for this crucial listening. Um, yeah, let's get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> couldn't be more <laughs> yeah, eclectic. Off the track. Yeah. Just chatting. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to let you pick whatever order you want to put these forward, Richard, um, whatever one you want to go for first, if you could tell me the name of it and why it's important to you. Well, I'm sticking with my original order because nothing has changed since you first asked me. That's the <laughs> philosophy I'm taking. So my first choice was Medal by Pink Floyd. And I have to say that if you put me on the spot and say, 
who is the most or what is the most important band in your life i would say pink floyd for a number of reasons first reason is they are the first band i ever heard now the first record i ever heard outside of my parents choice was c emily play now i realize that's the sid era um pink floyd which i love the material is great but i actually think sid barrett's solo albums are even better and i also believe that sid barrett um, in many ways, was held back by Pink Floyd, and Pink Floyd were held back by Sid Barrett, because I feel they really took off. The era of Pink Floyd I love is the era after Sid had left. Not to, you know, put down Sid at all. His solo albums, I think, are amazing, and I could have, on another day, chosen The Madcap Last by Sid Barrett as a, a crucial record in my life. But um, I chose metal. I feel it's the peak of um, Pink Floyd in the era that I love. And the era of Pink Floyd I love is when they are not a song delivery mechanism. When Sid Barrett was in them for um, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, they were a, a mechanism to deliver the songs of Sid Barrett. Great songs. When they did Dark Side of the Moon, they became a mechanism to deliver the songs of Roger Waters. Less keen on his songs, I have to say. In fact, I, I, I don't really listen to them with any pleasure. But there was a sweet spot from Source of All of Secrets through to Medal, where they were just four guys making music. And that is the era of Pink Floyd I love. And Medal, I feel, is the um, really the, the, the peak of this, this period. You, you, you could argue for Live at Pompeii as well, which was um, made, I think... Just before they sort of got into the Dark Side of the Moon sessions, and actually the film is intercut with bits of um, the recording of Dark Side of the Moon. But I'm not really interested in Dark Side of the Moon onwards. Um, metal is what we're talking about. Um, now, obviously I have an irrational love for Pink Floyd. It was the first music I ever heard outside my parents' taste. And also, I grew up in Cambridge, and Pink Floyd are a real Cambridge band. Cambridge is based in the Fens. I actually grew up just outside of Cambridge in the Fens, and it's a very uneventful landscape and i think pink floyd are a very uneventful band the, in that peak era there's there's no histrionics they're just existing on a level plane if there is an event in the music it's a bit like a tree in the fens it's it's a major event <laughs> and um metal it's, it's a record of two sides uh you've got on one side the songs and then they're, they're not anything spectacular the songs um what's important is the performance of the songs and the performance of the songs isn't in any way spectacular either and i think that's what's important and probably if i had to pick one track on side one it would be pillow of winds which is the second track in you've got your 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 sort of blustering opening track uh one of these days which is, is all fine and dandy but then it goes into a very um floydian five or so minutes in Pillow of Winds. It's completely level. There's no drama. There's no real chorus in the song. There's there's no development in the song. It just, apart from maybe there's a bit of the very subtle percussion comes in at one point, but it's, it's, a, it's a very, I don't know if it's linear or non-linear, but it, it just is. It's, it's just a state of being, this song. And, and that is... Uh, something which i think has been very um influential to me i don't really like development in music um you know i like minimalist music a lot i like things which just are in a state of being so that's that side one of um metal side two you've got echoes which i think is quite transportative and it's in lots of different sections the sections don't essentially build you know they're very much sort of hacked onto one another and th 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 there are bits where you could argue well that's a build but that's not really the importance of it the importance is each self-contained module it's quite a modular piece i think module of of that side um and it features for me some of pink floyd's best music making Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. Sorry, I just got on one there, but I was quite excited by it. <laughs> I did, yeah. If it's one of your favourite records, I think that's entirely excusable. But, um, oh, thanks. <laughs> the, uh, it's been really interesting. I, I must actually disclose as well. So this is the fourth episode that I've recorded of this. Mm. The last one I recorded with was with Lassa Maraug, um, mm -hmm. which was uh, a couple of weeks ago. He also picked Medal by Pink Floyd. Um, really? Wow. Isn't that interesting? And... Um, mm. 
he he uh, what what were his reasons um so i think what was really interesting from him is he liked the imperfection of it he liked the fact that um Seamus really drove him up the wall. Um, oh yeah, that's great. That's a complete non-entity of a track. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I, there's actually a version on Live at Pompeii where they're sort of like tickling a dog's sort oh. of <laughs> neck to get it to howl. <laughs> it's um, it's just it's really interesting. I think as well. Um, I mean, he 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 mentioned the fact that echoes. I think there there seemed to be this real almost duality for for him. It seemed in the sense that there were these tracks um, where there was a lot of unremarkable moments but i think echoes for him was very much just a, a piece of music that he really valued as mm. music in a more traditional sense in that it was a really oh, exciting that piece. goes as well it operates on so many levels i feel mm. this record does and, that, and that's possibly you know why it's a record I've, I've loved for a long period of time and i could put it on at any any moment and get something out of it it doesn't tire I don't know where, how old you were when you first heard this record, but I, I know mm. for me those first experiences in hearing a piece of music which played with duration and, and uh, occupied mm -hmm. duration in a way which was completely different to anything I'd ever heard before were mm. some mm. of the most formative experiences in my understanding of music and what I enjoyed. I mean, how old were you when you heard Echoes and, and what was that like for you? Well, I, I would, would say... Um I travelled back a bit in time. When I first heard Pink Floyd see Emily play, I was about six or seven. And up to that point, I hadn't heard really any pop music. Um, I just heard sort of medieval recorded music and uh, choral music and maybe a bit of light classical. I was really quite sort of sheltered in that way. And then I heard Emily play and I thought, wow. And there was a middle eight where I could detect no tune in it whatsoever, the guitar solo bit. And I thought, this is it. You know, this this is why I'm on the planet because of this. And then, then I see I, that's all. And I also heard uh, that single and Arnold Lane because a friend of mine had they had those two singles in the house, but didn't have any other Pink Floyd. And then I moved from Cambridge and went to um, lived in Hertfordshire for a while, and I'd kind of forgotten about Pink Floyd a bit. And I remember a friend here, Dad had animals and metal and relics and i thought oh wow it's pink floyd they're you know they're my favorite band i really love those two singles and the two singles were on relics and um i got a tape of animals and metal and if i'm absolutely honest aged 11 i was at the time i preferred animals and metal was a slow burn for me it took me a few years to actually find metal exciting now the, the tables have turned i can't listen to animals i think it's ghastly um oh it's really leaden and horrible but metal um and maybe i'm being a bit sort of you know a bit you know all or nothing there but metal is just just gradually built and built and built for me um and so initially I, I maybe aged eleven, liking things like you know that, that punk was 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 in, and you know liking a bit more sort of up tempo music. Uh, metal really didn't do it for me, apart from possibly the opening track. Um, so I, I can't really pin down when it was or how it was, but um, it, it, it's been on the backbone and it just became this thing for me. It's it's a really interesting record to read about. I mean, I, I have to confess, I hadn't really digged into it until uh, recording this podcast and mm. reading about the context in which it was made and the almost there seemed to be a sense of um, aimlessness upon which the record was born. Um, yeah. Obviously there's no conceptual basis, which I, I think obviously, I mean, you had this splay of directions and some of which were followed, some weren't. Do you dig down into the context of these records as a way of, uh, I guess, enlightening your understanding or, or, or um, renewing your appreciation? Is, is, is that an aspect of listening for you? Uh, no, not necessarily so much into the backstory of things, but it, but it's, it is interesting. And, and sometimes I wish I could um, clear my mind of any preconceptions and be in that state. Um, you know, another record I could have chosen was Another Green World by Brian Eno, hmm. where um, apparently the first few days of the session's you know, he was going over to using the oblique, oblique strategies. Um, the first few days of sessions, they got nowhere. It was just completely aimless and unusable. Um, and I kind of like that idea that, you, you know, you're completely empty and devoid of 
of any direction and somehow the direction finds you. If you would like to introduce your second record, that would be fantastic. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, second record is Voice of America by Cabaret Voltaire. Um, I first heard Cabaret Voltaire on the John Peel show, um, and it was that stereotypical thing, teenager with transistor radio under the bed sheets, not wanting to get found out that you're staying up late listening to this weird music. And I heard the track Obsession, and I thought, what? I don't even understand that music. What's going on there? And it was very tinny, and I, I could tell that the sonics weren't quite normal. And next time, I lived quite near London, next time I went to London, I think, uh, went with my parents, I don't know why we were going there. Was, um, I went and tracked down a copy of Voice of America by Cabaret Voltaire. And I thought it was going to, you know, I thought it was going to be good because I'd heard Obsession. And then I put on the first track and it started off with an American voice going on about, no running up and down the aisles and a very sinister, there's like undertone. Um, And then this rhythm came in and this echoed guitar and, um, you know, my mind split open. <laughs> it was just like, what is this? And I, the weird thing is, I'd been messing around with tape loops inside cassette shells. You know, because I'd heard Revolution Number no. Nine by the Beatles, and but this this took it to a whole new level of tape loops and and messing with sound and just things not being as I'd heard them previously. And it was all very well listening to the Stranglers and thinking it was a bit, you know edgy but this was edgy in a totally different way and it was and it totally synced in with my at the time cold war paranoia where you know i wasn't sure if i was going to wake up in the morning because i thought we'd all be bombed to 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 shit Mm. and not really believing i'd ever make it into adulthood because the world would end through you know a mutually assured destruction and and and, yeah I, i suddenly really regretted the fact that i was living quite a comfortable life in the home counters and i wanted to you know be a a bit more um living in sheffield you know <laughs> being a bit more industrial <laughs> i was just all a bit too suburban you know yeah uh, but yeah no, it 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 was um a record that opened up a lot of sonic possibilities for me and realized that you didn't have to use the you know the received notion of what sounds should be on a record and obviously you know there was a whole um industrial orthodoxy about what records should sound like um and you know possibly for a while that did imprison me but you know in the fullness of time i think that was the um record that opened up uh my mind to really the notion of you know any sound will go you know you can um, make a record with any sound you want and uh it's all right. What's really interesting I found with this one is how there is still a weird framework of pop and metronomic coherence that mm-hmm. seldom is overthrown, even at the peak of every sound being twisted and crunched and saturated. Yeah, they still yeah. want to dance. <laughs> they do, they do, and they—that's they, what they became when once Chris Watson had left. Um, they really became a dance outfit, and and uh, I, I got to say, I'm not really very interested in the dance music they made. I think there's a lot more interesting dance music, and you know, sonically, I think they became a bit dull once Chris Watson had left. Um, you know, he he was he was the guy who I feel brought them the interest, but at the same time, you know, it was it was a, it was a, a, a some of the parts you needed. Richard H. Kirk and Stephen Malander's contribution to give that dance, you know, they still wanted to dance, that dance element and that, you know, as you say, the metronomity, is that the word? Metro? Yeah, the, sort of the metronome-like um, quality mm. to a lot of the tracks. Um, but, you know, that, 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 hey, we all like all that, that, you know, we want to dance, you know. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's quite natural. <laughs> yeah, I have to say as well, I mean, I didn't realise... Um, 
and this is maybe a bit poor on my part that Mm. This is I'm Chris Watson. I mean, I, I've I only really came into him through the latter stuff he's done, I suppose, on uh, Touch and and as a sound yeah, recordist. Uh-huh. I was completely oblivious to his presence in this band. Yeah, I, I think it's true that he when he left Cabaret Voltaire, that's he went and worked for like Tyne T's Telly or someone like that, you know, as a sound <laughs> recordist, um, which is is great. You know, I could, I've got this picture from going to the job interview. You know, so Mr. Watson, um, if you like, outline your experience and say, well, I'm in this industrial band <laughs> called Cabaret Voltaire. <laughs> You know, I can't imagine that really washing at a job interview these days. You know, <laughs> it's um, it's interesting because it makes me think as well the amount of precision that he employs over what he does. Um, hmm. And I, I wonder, here, listening to this record, I mean, um, I always, I definitely feel like I'm on the outside looking in. In that there's. Hmm. Um, something alien about what i'm hearing and i think i perceive Mm. that as a sort of sonic recklessness in that it's like i'm just going to abuse these sounds until i don't recognize what they look like anymore or they don't resemble their instruments but uh, But i wonder with chris whether actually there was a, a something that he was striving for um that i just don't you know i don't have the framework to comprehend you know yeah at the risk of sounding pretentious i i i think um it was very much of its time, and it it did it did uh, capture something about that era. You know, I, I was I was um, as I, I, I said, I was you know really didn't think the world was going to survive. You know, what with the Cold War, I thought we were all going to get blown up, and um, that's a, a common thing. You know, amongst people my age, we we grew up in the eighties and really quite uncertain about the survival of the planet because of of the cold war um and there, there was an element of paranoia and dislocation to to living i feel uh, you know coupled with thatcher's britain uh, which wasn't uh, particularly great either right but it, it was it was dark times yeah i want to dig into that a bit more i mean what was the mm. what 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 was it about this record that sort of ran in parallel to the experiences you were going through at that time i mean was it a a solace or was it sort of something you could see as a a reflection of the sensations that you were you were harboring at that time um probably more of the latter than the former Hmm. uh but at the same time, there was an otherness to it, and that was that was more like it was you know, just just exciting, you know. Mm. It was, it was a, a thrill to to feel maybe outside of yourself for a moment because of the the sound of it. It was, it, it, it was transportative in a, in a very different way from from you know say like echoes on metal. Yeah, I think it's the vocal performances as well. I think. Um deeply strange vocal performances yeah aren't they yeah and they feel like they're almost that someone's voice being extracted out of their own head and sort of trying to float above their body a bit <laughs> yeah. you know yeah 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 deep deeply strange i mean they, you know they, they've obviously affected the voice quite a bit in parts but at the same time you can um if you listen to the, the record before that mix up it's like more song orientated that is um and you can kind of get a glimmer of what it, what you know, maybe Stephen Malander's natural voice sounds like. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing you never Which is probably know. A very strange natural voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and and I, I I love as well. I think um, for me, and there are a few records that fall into this category where mm. I realise that every sound can fall under question that there can be consistency that doesn't exist within a particular batch of instrument tones um but that Mm. the um i guess the spirit of process is enough to congeal everything into a work that feels very cohesive and that definitely feels like the case with this yeah yeah and i I think it's definitely a sound world they're occupying there and it, it does it does work as a whole even though you could look at one track and say, well, it's nothing like that track, is it? But, you know, it's, it's just so messed with the sound world that it all fits. Final question on this one. Where does, where does this record sit with you now? I mean, I, I guess it sounds like it had a very intrinsic link with a time in your life. I mean, what is it like listening back to this record from the perspective of, you know, many years later? 
I, I kind of think, where was I at? You know, because uh, it, it's on one level, it's not a very pleasant record. It, it's it's like a, a nostalgia thing, perhaps. You know how, like, when you're young, you'd listen to music to, like, alienate your parents. Yes, I can put it on and, and feel like. Like my younger self is putting on a record to alienate my older self. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, you know, I've moved on as a person, but at the same time, it was a very important record to me. And I could maybe choose another record from that period, which was important. And, you know, something like, say, McCartney 2 by Paul McCartney, which I can, you know, as, as, as a, like an old fart, I can sort of get a pleasure out of still. In a, in a different way. It seems like pop music to me. And at the time, I was kind of quite into it because it was like weird pop music. But mm. it, it never really meant quite as much to me as, as Voice of America at the time. But yeah, it's, it's possibly... Um, I can see my younger self trying to alienate my older self. And do you have a favourite track? Probably the opening track, Voice of America, Damage is Done, with that echoey guitar. Your final pick, please, Richard, and this one Mm. caught me completely off guard, but actually, as I found out later, in the best way. Well, that's, that's good, that's good. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going Purpose by Justin Bieber, and if I was completely honest, it's the record I have listened to most over the past year or so. Um, it's a record, well, it's actually um, a CD that's in the car a lot, and it's family listening, and we all enjoy it. It's a very much a modern digital record, and there is actually... A f- really interesting video online where Skrillex, Bieber, and Diplo take the the viewer through the recording of "Where Are You Now," which is my favourite track on the record, and mm. and I've, I've got sort of particular thoughts on that track actually. And I, I actually asked asked Sawley, my son, yesterday, what what because yeah, I knew I was going to do this interview. What were your thoughts on um on purpose? And he started by saying, "Well." It's very much a God record, Whoa. which is not something that occurred to me at all. Wow. I mean, yeah. Um, and I, that, that, you know, so, so it's actually still opening up whole new perspectives to me, this record is. I'm not tiring of it. Um, but the track that, I, that got me into it initially was Where Are You Now? And it is my favourite bit of the whole album is the speeded up flute-like hook on where are you now you know the bit yeah and um skrillex takes you through the, the 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 creation of that and it strikes me that it's it's we're at a moment in pop music where technology is doing things which are creating these um sonic events it's, it's like the rolling stones satisfaction it's a riff made possible by technology and initially it sounds wrong, but now it's, you know, that the fuzz on dun, 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 on satisfaction was wrong at the time, but now it's just mainstream. And I think likewise, you, we're getting these kind of digital artefacts, which have, have, have now become mainstream. You know, you can, you can talk about, you know, glitch and all that, but it's become mainstream what you do with digital technology. And it's creating, you know, hooks and the, the, the product, you know, it does not sound like a production board, but the production is phenomenal on that record. Mm. And if you really turn it up loud, you hear whole, you know, levels of stuff which you, which you, you aren't necessarily aware of when you're just being exposed to the mere hook of, of that. But um, yeah, there are other tracks I really like as well. And, and what I particularly like is the way they've taken the voice and created instrument parts out of the voice through digital manipulation. And, um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's uh, on one level, you know, quite passe yes. because everyone's doing it now. But um, I think there's a quality 
there's a, there's a reason why it's popular. It's not just, you know, the Bieber vehicle. It's the fact that they've um, managed to make hooks which are incredibly powerful, and they've done them in a sonic way which kind of heat, hits that sweet spot bet- between sounding surprising and sounding familiar. And it is a record full of very enjoyable good tunes. Yeah, I mean, how did it come into your life? Who who brought it into the, the oh, car? Well, Sorley, yeah, Sorley, my son. Um, he, you know, he, being um, yeah, ten years old. Um, it, it, it's yeah, it's. At the t- I guess it's probably about ooh, not. I'm trying to find to find a time scale on this, but it's it's been there for a while. You know, it was on release. It was very much the buzz at school that there was this this you know. This record, this new Bieber record. Um, can't say I, I particularly appreciate some of his earlier work. Is what it is, but uh, I think that this this record, you know, he, he maybe it's, it's, it was you know an attempt to become a bit more a serious artist. But it, it, it's, it's weird because you know Bieber fever kind of swept our household, and I end up watching a documentary. He's a bloody good drummer, Justin Bieber is. I don't really? know if you're aware of this. No. Yo, yeah, he's really good. Uh, watched a documentary where he, they showed a film of him drumming in like a, a church band, aged you know five, six. Phenomenal. Wow. Um, yeah, you just don't think that he has got t- the talent, but he, he really does have talent. This guy. <laughs> in fact, I, th- I thought maybe, maybe I should write because I know quite a few drummers, <laughs> and uh, I feel really good drummers. I was going to write to him and say, Justin, would you, how about you know resurrecting your drumming career? <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah, uh, it's an art project I've got going. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's um, so, so you kind of got to know quite a bit. And actually, Sawley went to see Bieber on the Purpose tour. I, I didn't go. You know, tickets were a bit expensive, so it's only really one adult could go. But uh, yeah, no, that, he he uh, came back his mind blown. Um, wow. So yeah, he led the way. But I think we all enthusiastically embraced it. It was just good fun. Yeah, I, what I find really interesting is the premise of listening to music in the car as a family, mm. or you know. Oh, everything! Everything's very hyped in the car. You know, the bass comes up, the treble <laughs> comes up. It's all compressed, so you don't miss a thing. Mm. Um, and in many ways, that's, that's kind of how record production's gone. You know, bass hyped, top hyped, and you know everything leveled out and limited, so you don't miss a thing. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a it's, a it's a weird sound world. Have you done it on headphones as well? Uh, no, I haven't actually. I, I don't really like headphones. I've got to say. Oh, okay. Um, How come? Uh, I, I I prefer speakers uh, as a listening means. Occasionally, I mix using headphones just to you know check there's no sort of clicks and things here and there. Hmm. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe that will open up a whole new world of. Um, purpose by justin bieber if i listen to it on headphones yeah well i i i because i listened to it in the car i thought i, mm. I wanted to you know entirely live the yeah, richard young's experience the... <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. talking to yeah. the imaginary kids in the back and i uh you mm. know i felt it's i mean it, it feels like a driving record in a in a way and that it is um just very visceral and hard and it feels appropriate mm. to be in a hurtling motor vehicle mm. at the time but on, yeah. on headphones I, I, again i think there's i think what you were saying there there is a lot of very um subtle layers that are sort of threaded through the margins of it which um maybe mm-hmm. under the revs of the engine were perhaps drowned out but i was like oh wow so actually there's because yeah, i mean i've listened to, i've listened to it outside of the car but not in headphones yeah hmm. uh, well, i mean because it's quite a spacious record like at least to begin with like the first few tracks mm. feel quite um restrained i guess like there's a lot of bass yeah but not i think i think it's got enough. a really strong beginning which um dips when you get that track which has got i think ed sheeran's guitar in it mm. and uh it's got a kind of like a trumpet solo um yeah uh yeah which which the the opening opening sort of salvo is is great then it dips and then then you know it's, it's that thing you know they haven't shot the load because where are you now still to come yeah yeah and yeah that that is that is the peak for me and and even you know after that's gone that there's still something there but uh you know, it's it's also you've got to bring it down at the end, so you want to go back to the start. 
But it's also, it, they've definitely thought about the sequencing of it. Even though we live in a, you know, like in an MP3, you know, shuffle world. I think, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely felt that, that when that song came on. I mean, it's, what is it, like, it's track eight or something like that, is it? It's quite a way in. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fair in, yeah, in that night. I, I can't, I don't really look at the numbers, but yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a way in, yeah. But you're right, it's quite remarkable that there's an overarching restraint that's just holding that record back over the course of several tracks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not a thro- load of ideas thrown together. Um, oh, no, no, no. But what do you think of the... What about, the, like, the lyrical content? I mean, do you dwell on that much? I mean, it seems quite interesting. I, on the whole, don't listen to words. I mean, I listen to sort of the, 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 the timbre and the enunciation, but I don't really sort of take in the meaning when I listen to music, though I do like a good lyric. My impression is... The, the the lot of it sounds like therapy. Yes, the, the, the lyrics, which um, is probably a, a great way to write sort of soulful style lyrics is to go into therapy, and maybe it ties in with what Solly said last night. Oh, it's a it's a god record. Um, there was there was I remember reading years back in Forced Exposure magazine uh, a review of a singer songwriter where. Byron Coley, I think it was, said that the lyrics were overly self-referential, which I thought was a great phrase. And um, there's, there's possibly an aspect of that. They are a bit overly self-referential. But, you know, I think that goes with the territory of the genre. You know, you're not going to, um, you know, write something sort of distant and drifty like Pillow of Winds, you know, to come back, go back to Echo, you know, um, Medal by Pink Floyd. It is all about me and my relationship to the world and maybe you and our relationship but i haven't paid i'm I'm not i'm I'm not really into dissecting lyrics too much no fair enough it it, to be honest i'm not either and then um i when i was listening to it for this podcast i said to my friend i was like i'm listening to this this album and Mm. and you have never because i think of my hang-ups as a music listener Mm. would have completely um pass this by and uh, i just said you know I, I think it's worth checking out and i think he's so much more lyrically minded but immediately was like mm-hmm. ah i reckon this was recorded at a time of um maybe a lot of strain in terms of his relationship with the public and um yeah oh no totally totally that, 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 that that's kind of yeah very um blatant in, in in maybe some of the earlier tracks uh on the on the record um yeah, you know, mark my words. Um, yeah, that, that that's kind of if you look at that, I guess. Uh, there's, there's there's that going on. Yeah. Yeah, because I know there's certain points where he seems to be saying, "I'm really sorry for how I've been, but actually I've been mm. all right as well." And give me some credit. I was, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm an all right guy, mm. really, which I find really interesting. He kind of goes into this sort of state of please accept my apology, and then comes out of like and also remember i'm i'm kind of an all right guy as well you know i'm not completely this horrible chap but, um yeah 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 it's great it's i'm glad you've put me onto it richard this is going to be um certainly on my my playlist i mean one 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 oh. yeah have you have you seen that um online thing where they it's, it's i think it's on the new york times website it's about a six minute video um where they go through the making of it no i haven't i'd really recommend it yeah if you just put like skrillex diplo bieber new york times that should get you it um definitely worth seeing yeah because i mean skrillex seems to be involved in a lot of music of this type and i get the impression that Mm. he's perhaps a a forerunner in you know as you say digital pop at the moment Mm. Yeah, only oh, no, no, he's, he's, he's uh, the way he works. Ableton is phenomenal in this um, this this clip, uh, and uh, you know, I, I would I could never envisage being able to be that um, much of a virtuoso with software. <laughs> the the other question I want to ask about yeah. car music is, I mean, I think it's a really interesting place for listening, not only for the. Uh, in terms of the fact you're listening on speakers, but also that if you're, mm. you are listening as a family, you're 
in mm. I guess what's one of those rare occasions where you're in each other's company and there's no option to up and leave if you don't like what's being listening to. So there oh, has absolutely. to be yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, Dan, yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you negotiate that as a, a family in terms of choosing what goes on in the car? Well, I think this is what re- one of the reasons we've listened to this the most is it's a record we all like. Mm. Um, there will be you know records that one of us likes and the others don't and you know they get played but i think it's that thing you sense that others aren't enjoying it so hey that's not really fair on them so let's stick to something that's pleasurable for all Mm. yeah absolutely i mean me and my partner i think we've tried doing the alternation thing where you're like you get a track i get a track we've done that yes Yeah. yeah yeah um but sometimes you kind of feel like a minute into your choice, you know, oh, they're not really enjoying this, are they? Um, should we just move on to something else? You know, even though I'd really love to hear this, you know, and yeah, it does go on for ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or there's that thing where boring parents say, "No, sorry, you've got to really listen to this. This is a very important yeah. record." And- <laughs> <laughs> and you, you just know that you're just sounding oh, just so old and um, just self-important it's not good yeah i um i often try and put something on in the car and that i think my partner will like and then just not Mm. even say hey what do you think of this but just wait quietly and casually for some kind of remark you know as if i'm just oozing music recommendations without having to bring it up but um she never says anything and it just we end up playing radiohead again because that's our in our venn diagram of our lives yeah that's the one that falls down the center you know yeah 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 uh well yeah that's (laughs) how it goes Richard, this has been excellent. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to me. Oh, no, it's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Um, yeah, I will should should actually go and um, create some breakfast here. Of course, and, uh, yeah. They, yeah, move been, on through the day. Yeah. Yes, waiting patiently. But um, if people want to find your music online or see what you're up to, where should they be headed mm. to? Um, if you go to www.nofansrecords.com, uh, you should find most stuff there. Um, it's my official website. So that will take you to the Facebook. It'll take you to the Bandcamp. It'll take you to my online shop. It'll take you to a few sort of video clips of live performances. You know, it's the works. It's a website. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, thank you so much. And to everyone listening, thank you as well. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.